from Matthew, the 6th chapter, and it's verses 16 through 18. Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It doesn't matter how many times a uh, series like this comes around asking for a friend, you can almost be guaranteed that there is going to be a question about the Christian practice of fasting. Why do we fast? Should we fast? Is that even anything that's going to, that needs to be done as far as the New Testament goes? The way this question was asked and uh, dropped in the box in the back was this. I've wondered about the way in which fasting is valued in the biblical text while it's devalued in modern Christianity. In looking at that, I appreciate the asker in sincerity to say there is a precedent, a biblical New Testament precedent for the practice of fasting. And yet at the same time, I could probably count on one hand the amount of sermons that I've preached and also heard on the subject of fasting. And as we're going to deal with the question, we're not necessarily going to deal devaluing of fasting, but we will absolutely deal with the question of, is this anything that has a whole, any value? Is this something my Lord wants me to do with regard to uh, fasting, with regard to the absence of food? In a simple definition, when you look at fasting, it's just simply the voluntary absence of food for spiritual purposes. Again, framed in the spiritual context. Sometimes it is that our doctors ask us to fast, don't they? You're getting blood work done first thing in the morning. They say, okay, don't eat any food after midnight. It's kind of like the gremlins, I guess. But uh, for whatever reason, they want the bloodstream to be free of kind of food. They want to, want not any kind of sugar or anything else so that it'll give a, uh, a strange reading. And so they say, we want you to fast. A lot of times before surgeries, people will say, okay, you can only have water up until this point and then don't, uh, don't drink anything or don't eat anything. We understand that, and there's a lot of diets that are proponents of fasting, of uh, taking into account when you eat and how much you eat, and then stopping at a certain point. But when we frame it in a spiritual context, you just add the word spiritual to it and say it's the voluntary absence of food for a spiritual reason. If you can even step a further back and give an even broader definition of fasting, you could say it's the voluntary absence or withdrawal of anything for a spiritual purpose. We'll talk more about that as we go along. It doesn't just have to be food that we fast from. Just a couple of things to note as we get started about why it is that we need to even study this. A couple of things to note, and you may just jot down these scriptures as we're going through. There's not a spot on the uh, handout for you to mention them. But just realize, number one, why do we need to talk about fasting? Because it seems like in the New Testament, Jesus assumed that his disciples would fast. What Stan read just for a moment ago from the Sermon on the Mount, we realize Sermon on the Mount is chock full of practical Christianity. And when you get to verse 17 of chapter 6, 
He says, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast or if you want to fast. He says, when. There is an expectation there. You remember in Matthew chapter 9, some of the disciples of Jesus came to him and said, Lord, why is it that we don't fast like John and his disciples do? And Jesus says, listen, can, the, can, uh, can a, a wedding guest fast as, or mourn as long as the bridegroom's with him? He says there's going to be a time when the bridegroom's taken away, and then they will fast. I believe, speaking of the time, whenever it is that he's going to leave and ascend back to heaven, Jesus is assuming that his disciples will fast. Note that Jesus himself spiritually prepared himself for the onslaught of the devil by fasting. After his baptism in Matthew chapter 3, when the voice cried out, This is my beloved Son in whom I well pleased, Jesus was driven out into the wilderness where he spent 40 days in prayer and in fasting. So that when the devil had come and when he began to tempt him, Jesus was ready. He had spiritually prepared himself by going out into the wilderness and doing that. If my Lord did it for spiritual strength, for a spiritual purpose, do you suppose that means that I need to reconsider maybe if and when I do it? Number three, because of the example of the early church, we are a people who believe that we are following the pattern and that are trying to follow the pattern of New Testament Christianity as much as possible. What does it say about the New Testament church that they put such a high value on prayer and on fasting? You remember that in Acts chapter 13, they were there in Antioch, the disciples were there, and the Bible says there in verse 3 that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, set aside for me, Paul, and, uh, and, and uh, for the spiritual purpose, for going on this missionary journey. The early church did it. If you look over a page in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, they're going around on this missionary journey and they're appointing elders in every city. And as they appointed elders in every church, the Bible says, with prayer and fasting, they counted them to the Lord and whom uh, they granted or, or, or committed them to the Lord and whom they had believed. The early church fasted. They prayed together. They did these things. Paul himself, the apostle, whenever he goes through that catalog of things that he had suffered for the Lord and things that he had suffered for the church and for the sake of the gospel, you remember it as he goes on and talks about how many times he'd been beaten, how many times he'd been shipwrecked, and how many times he'd been suffered perils of uh, persecution and, and countrymen uh, that are wanting to take his life. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 27 and said, In weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, and hunger and thirst, and in fastings often. Well, if I couple that with 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, as Paul says, mimic me or imitate me as I imitate Christ, that means maybe I ought to think again about fasting and its role in my life. Just a few names for you of people, biblical heroes that fasted. Moses fasted 40 days, 40 nights, whenever he was up on Sinai receiving the law in Exodus 34 verse 28. David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, after he had sinned with Bathsheba and knew that that child that they had conceived was sick, David fasted and he prayed. He laid on his face until it was that he knew the fate of that child. Esther in Esther chapter 4 and verse 16, whenever it was that she knew that she was going to go before the king and she knew that she wasn't summoned, she said, uh, Mordecai, I want you to get all the Jews in Shushan and I want you to, uh, to have them fast for me and I'm going to have me and my maids do the same because I'm going to go into this and I want you to... Think about and pray 
for me in this occasion. If I perish, I perish. The great wall builder, Nehemiah, fasted and prayed. Elijah fasted and prayed. Daniel, in committing a, uh, an understanding of national sin and, and confessing those things to the Lord, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel fasted and he prayed. Jesus, the Son of God, fasted and he prayed. When we fast and when we choose to take a voluntary absence from food for a spiritual purpose, folks, we're in good company. We're in a very good company. Fasting, as far as the purposes go, we're talking about this this evening, and here's four points with regard to why it is and how it is that we ought to approach this subject. The purpose of fasting. When you look into the Bible and you do a survey of all the places in the Bible where it talks about people fasting, these are the reasons why it is that it seems like they did that. The very first one that you'll come across is this. People fasted for the sake of penitence. Sorrow for sin. Sorrow for sin. With confession of sin and with prayer often comes a fasting. And what happens is that then when you look at Nehemiah and he's hearing about the walls in Nehemiah chapter 1 being torn down and about his people living in an abject poverty, he fasts and he prays to God. He confesses the national sins of Israel about how they didn't heed God's word. God delivered them over to, to, to be punished for 70 years in a land that wasn't theirs. He did that for the sake of penitence. We mentioned Daniel just a moment ago did the exact same thing. What happens when we commit sin? When we commit sin, it's an opportunity for us to stop and take and put our values under a microscope. Paul said in Hebrews, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. When you couple fasting with prayer, especially whenever it is in times of sin, in times of failure, you're giving an opportunity for those values to really be clearly seen about whether or not you're putting too much stock in the things of this life. There is a separation that occurs from distractions to focus on relationship with God and sorrow for the pain that's been caused. We mentioned just a moment ago, one of the second reasons for the purpose of fasting in the Bible is to couple it with prayer. Prayer and fasting often go hand in hand in the Bible. Fasting, it seems like, does something to strengthen prayers so that it strengthens our focus. And when fasting is coupled with prayers, well, it really reminds us that God is our sustenance. That God is the one who continues to allow us to live in this life. God is the one that we're truly depending on. Now what Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When you have a person that stops and spends the time in voluntary absence from food or from a regular activity and spends that time devoted to prayer to God, there's a clarity, there's a focus there that might not otherwise be with a regular prayer that, uh, that somebody offers. Another purpose that you find in Scripture for fasting is this, self-discipline. Self-discipline. Paul said, I buffet or I bring my body under subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself will be disqualified. You know what I find sometimes? <laughs> I sit down to the table and I'm so busy shoving food in, I don't really think about whether or not I'm full. Until the point where it is that you get, 
You have to have somebody roll you away from the table until because your 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 stomach is full far sooner than your brain is full. Sometimes it can be that we as people can be so busy feeding ourselves that we don't necessarily think about God that we're not considering him and we're not meditating on him like we sang down here with our kids a little while ago. Fasting is about being aware of our appetites, about what I've got an appetite for. And it's about being aware of that and knowing that, well, something as simple as food. Folks, this is a basic need that all of us have. We can't live for very long without food. But if I'm aware of how much I need it, and then I stop and I deny myself of that, it gives an opportunity for me to help and see, well, that there may be other areas in my life that I really need to focus on and I really need to concentrate on. One condemnation of Christians in Philippians chapter 3, verses 19, it says that Christians don't have the mind of Christ as we're singing with our kids down here. And that condemnation is, he says, their God is their belly whose God is their belly. Whatever the appetite is that I have, that's what I'm going to feed because, well, my tummy's grumbling and therefore I'm going to feed it. My appetite for this sexual release is, uh, is, is growling and so I'm going to feed it. This appetite for gossip is going to feed and so I'm going to feed it. And you have all these different needs and these, these things that go through our minds when you stop and consider that God is our sustenance and things that may not necessarily be sinful can be impeding our spiritual growth and our progress. Spiritual discipline is an indicator if we're seeking what pleases God or not. Fourth purpose for fasting is this, to really show the love of God to others. In the Old Testament, they would often declare a national fast. And the purpose was so that these people could reflect on God's goodness and to think about the ways that he had blessed them and the ways that he had taken care of them. And as they would commit these things and show that goodness to others, they're giving an opportunity for God to be glorified in their lives because of their voluntary absence from food. When Jesus told the parable, the story, the account, depending on how you define it, of the rich man and Lazarus, remember what the condemnation of the rich man was? It was that he fared sumptuously every day and he did not consider Lazarus sitting out there at his gates full of sores, letting the dogs lick those sores. He fared sumptuously every day and didn't consider his neighbor who was right there outside his gate. I wonder how often we're feeding ourselves physically, we're feeding ourselves emotionally, and we're not being considerate not in lowliness of mind, esteeming others and thinking about others better than ourselves. Fasting helps give us clarity and focus about where it is that our possessions and our priorities should lie. Purpose of fasting, number two, the principle of fasting. The principle of fasting. How should we do this? How does the Bible talk about people that fast? Number one, we know that the Bible tells us that we don't do it to be seen of men. We don't do it to be seen of men. Jump back to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. There are three different activities here in Matthew 6 that the Lord covers. One of them is giving. He says, when you give, you don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. I want you, Jesus says, to do it secretly. Don't sound that trumpet before you like the hypocrites. Don't take the time to say, look at what a righteous person I am and how much money I'm dropping in the collection plate. 
or don't let people know about the way that you give. Second one is prayer. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't stand on the street corner and say, God, thank you so much for all that you've done. So people look at you and go, oh, what a spiritually righteous person. What a great guy. What would happen is that they would take the practice of fasting as well. And they would put dirt and, and dust on their faces. And they would put on dark clothes and, and just walk around moping. So that if somebody said, what's the matter with him? What's the matter with you? Oh, he's fasting. Oh, can't you see it in his face how spiritually devoted he is and how, 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 how reverent he is? And Jesus says, if you're going to approach it like that, you have your reward. What you wanted was the pats in the back on men or people to say, wow, what a spiritual person you is. He says, when you fast, you don't be like those hypocrites. You don't do it to be seen of men. Go in, wash your face. Don't appear to men to be fasting. Why? Because it's about you and your relationship with God. It's about you and your devotion to him. It's not about whether or not anybody else sees. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Don't do it to be seen of men. Number two, principle of fasting. Give it a direction or a purpose. Give it a direction or a purpose. When I look into the pages of the book of Acts, you find that the church utilized fasting in times of difficulty and times of major decisions. When you have a big decision coming up, I've been a part of congregations that have thought about purchasing a piece of land that was adjacent to their building or looking and thinking about an outreach ministry where the elders said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fast together as a congregation. We're going to cease from food and we're going to devote ourselves to prayer so that it is that we can have a clarity of direction as opposed to and, and pray for open doors as to whether or not it is that we ought to move forward this with this, uh, this, this decision or not. When we have personal decisions, I've got a job offer that's, that's in another town. I've got a, uh, an opportunity to move my career down the road or I've got this, this, uh, this opportunity. Ever think about coupling your prayers, which I hope you do anyway, with fasting so that it may be that you can think spiritually about the process. I wish I had a nickel for every time that somebody said, oh, I'm going to move to another town. I've got a great job offer and, and, and it's way, way up north and, and there's all kinds of uh, prospects and opportunities for me to grow in this, this, uh, this, this job and this employment. You say, okay, you have a faithful church that's nearby? Well, no, there's not one within 100 miles, 200 miles. Well, did you think about the decision spiritually before it was that you really thought about that job physically. We can make decisions sometimes that are really horrible for us because we're not thinking with spiritual minds. Fasting helps that in making big decisions. Think about this, and we mentioned this at the very beginning. Don't limit it to food alone. Don't limit it to food alone. You ever think about taking a cell phone fast? The average person that said touches their cell phone hundreds, maybe even a thousand times a day. Sometimes I catch myself just pulling it out of my pocket and opening it up just to see if there's anything new on there. And it's almost like the rabbit pushing the, the, the lever to get a pellet. 
And as we look and we see, oh, I got a new text message. Okay, I'm going to check five minutes later and, and find out if there's a new text message. We do it sometimes subconsciously without really ever even thinking about it. Did you ever think about setting that aside or turning it off or maybe sending, uh, sending all those things to a forwarding address or forwarding a, a voicemail account so that you can really take that time and think about spending that time with God? You ever think about taking a television fast or a Netflix or Hulu fast that I'm going to stop watching, binge watching this show. I watched 15 episodes in the last 10 hours and I'm going to keep on going. Did you ever think about whether or not that may be good for you? Once again, we're talking about things that may not necessarily be sinful, but they may not necessarily be helpful to our Christian lives. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Did you ever think about taking a time from shopping or traveling or just busyness? Taking a fast from all those things to slow down and stop and withdraw and spend that time with God. Have you ever thought about taking a family fast to where you and your family are going to take an absence, uh, distance ourselves from an activity that maybe we all enjoy? And we're going to do that so that we as family can focus on values and what God wants our home to be so that we can reinforce our purpose that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It doesn't just have to be food. It's an appetite that we have and that we feed again and again and again, often without thinking. It's an opportunity to fast. Prophets. Prophets of fasting. What does it accomplish? What good is it? What good is it? Number one, it's something that promotes self-control. Promotes self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When I find myself woefully lacking in self-control, that's an opportunity that fasting can help. When I find myself feeling like I am unable to Rain in this appetite by myself. It's an opportunity to separate myself from that so that I can focus on self-control. And I tell you what, if you've never fasted before, it takes some amount of self-control because as you voluntarily distance yourself from food, what's going to happen is lunchtime rolls around and all of a sudden that tummy starts grumbling and you start thinking, hmm, what sounds good today? Taco Bell. No, Taco Bell never sounds good, but, you know, we tolerate it. You understand. But there's things that you think about and you go, oh, wouldn't that be good? You know what? I got a muffin in my desk drawer. I can just take that out and I can just wait. Fasting. And that self-control is tempted again and again and again. But what you do is say every time that comes around, that appetite roars and that, that appetite growls. That's an opportunity to stop and say, I've devoted this time to the Lord. I've devoted this time to drawing near to him and to thinking about his purposes for my life and thinking about my devotion for him. It's something that's going to provoke that self-control, which is an evidence of following after the Spirit of God in Galatians chapter 5. Prophets of fasting, it reveals to the degree to which we are ruled by our appetites. In the simplest definition, fasting is this. God, I love you more than fill in the blank. God, I love you more than the relationship with wife or husband. Isn't that part of 1 Corinthians 7? 
when it says, let every man have his own wife, let each woman have her own husband. I say to you, don't separate, speaking of the sexual relationship, except with consent, that is mom and dad both agree, husband and wife both agree rather, and they're going to separate from that sexual relationship for the prayer of fasting so that they can give themselves fully to the Lord during that time. God, I love you more than food. God, I love you more than my favorite meal. And I'm going to take this time to devote to you. God, I love you more than my cell phone. I love my cell phone. Can I separate myself from it and show God that I am devoted to him more than I'm devoted to holding on to that cell phone? And there may be things that I look at and say, oh, this is hard. This is difficult. But it tells me I'm too attached to that thing. Attachment needs to be that strong to God, that strong to his word, that strong to his love. Fasting reveal the degree to which we're ruled by our appetites. Fasting means that we're taking the time to abstain from what controls us. It reminds me, it reminds us, who's really in control? Preparing us for greater service, breaking bonds. And as we look at our lives and as we think about taking a break from what it is that controls us, when I go back to that, doesn't it really just put it in proper perspective? Doesn't it really take time to say, you know what, I really overemphasize the importance of this thing in my life as you go back to it. And you have a newfound perspective to say, my life is devoted to God and that thing that I love so much, it's just a thing, it's not God and I can't treat it like God. Prophet of fasting, last one. Practice. How do we do it? How do we do it? Number one, Consider the purpose. What does, do you want to fast from? What's going to be the purpose from your fast? Maybe I'm going to focus on prayer. Maybe I'm making a difficult decision in my life. Maybe it is that I'm thinking about the sins that I've committed and I'm going to really focus on God and let him know how valuable he is to me. That God, I love you more than food. God, I love you more than my cell phone. God, I love you more than television. And as I devote that time to him, I've got a definite purpose in mind. Folks, it could just be wanting to be nearer to the Lord. That is a perfectly valid reason to abstain from a normal everyday appetite or function so that I can draw near to him. Considering that, here's the question. Do I set a definite time and a definite fast object? Sometimes we can be so generic that's, that we just don't really know when the fast is going to begin when it's going to end. Setting a definite time. I'm going to fast from food from sunup on Monday all the way till the sun is already fully down on Monday. There have been many people that have fasted for days. If it is that you're just talking about drinking water or drinking orange juice or something so that you don't have uh, a blood sugar dips or something like that, people have fasted for weeks. In spending that time in spiritual devotion, I'm going to set a definite time from sunup to sundown. I'm going to set a definite object, uh, fasting for my cell phone, from food, and I'm going to devote and spend that time in a devotion to God. Here's the question. What's going to be the strategy when you begin to fast? Every day, I go and I sit down at the table with those people at lunch. If I'm fasting, 
Once again, principle of secrecy from Matthew chapter 6. I can't sit down there with my Bible open with no lunch in front of me. And those people begin to ask, hey, where's your lunch? Did you forget it today? Nope, I'm fasting. Again, what's the purpose? How are you going to handle it if it is that you have a regular mealtime practice every day? It's a little harder than you think. And if it is that I want to try and keep it between me and God, and I want to make sure that God knows that I'm not doing this to be seen of men, it may take some creative thinking in order to, number one, not be deceitful, but number two, to try and keep it secret. Again, if you're going to take a fast from your cell phone, how are you going to answer <laughs> whenever it is somebody sends you a text and they expect you to respond within three to five minutes or else they become angry? I find myself doing that sometimes. Anybody else? I sent him a text. I sent him it five minutes ago and he hadn't responded to me. <sighs> He's just ignoring me. He's hating me. And you look at those things and you say, well, that may not be it at all. But if it is that I choose to voluntarily take a break from my phone, from that which controls me, or from playing video games, or whatever it may be, how am I going to handle it when people ask me, why aren't you answering your text? Why aren't you answering your calls? It's harder than you think. But again, I want to try and do it in the way that God says, and I want to do it for his purposes. Number three, number four, rather, substitute that object with a distinctly spiritual activity. Substitute that object with a distinctly spiritual activity. Reading your Bible. Spending time looking at the particular ways that you fail as a Christian. Look at the particular sins that are besetting you or keeping tripping you up. Spend time journaling, writing about the way that you feel and about the way that you trust in God every single day. Prayer, we've mentioned that a couple of times. How about serving? Serving in the kingdom. Taking that meal that I would have eaten, preparing it anyway, smelling all the wonderful flavors melting together, and I'm going to take that food and take it down to a shut-in or a widow or maybe somebody that's without. I'm doing a distinctly spiritual activity with the purpose in mind that I'm going to draw nearer to God through loving other people. You know, fasting acts as an amplifier. There's an awareness of the spiritual nature of what you're doing when in the process that you're doing it. And consider spending time and the resources on other people or on somebody else that's in need or can benefit. We mentioned that fasting from food, take a meal to shut in. If fasting from video games, not looking at anybody in particular, fasting from video games, spend that time serving in the home, helping to lighten mom or dad's load to be people that are invested in making a lighter job for somebody else. But as always, Colossians 3, verse 17 applies. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all to the glory of God, giving thanks to God the Father through him, through Jesus. Jesus knew that it would be easy for us to get wrapped up in the here and now. Jesus knew that there would always be within mankind a, as long as we exist in the flesh, a war between the flesh and the spirit. My mind, my heart want to serve God, but as he said, the flesh is weak. Fasting is an opportunity to renew the domination, the, the, uh, the preeminence of my heart and my mind over the desires of my body. And to remind me that the physical 
is subject to the spiritual. When you have a person that their body is just, well, their mind and their heart are at the, at the mercy of their appetites, you're not going to find a person that's living a very nice life. I know physically the needs that I have, but I know my father is the provider of them. Fasting. If you never considered it, I would encourage you to consider it and see if it doesn't make a difference in your life and your relationship with God. That's our lesson for this evening. Thank you so much for paying attention. Maybe there's somebody here this evening that's subject to the invitation. Maybe there's somebody here this evening that needs the prayers and encouragement of our Christian family here. Whatever your need is, won't you make it known as we stand and sing our invitation song?